0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Weekly Podcast. I'm Jane Liu, podcasting from Singapore today. And with us today, we are very privileged to have Patsy Koystuning, who is the Chief Information Security Officer with CoinHackle, which is based in Singapore. And he will be sharing with us his insights on tech and cyber risks in the crypto world. So Patsy, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Jane. It's my privilege to be here.
0: Yes so uh, before we start I got to say you know congratulations on CoinHackle being granted a major payment institution license by the Monetary Authority of Singapore uh, which I believe was about quite recent, two months ago, which allows uh, CoinHackle to provide payment services and formally operate as a regulated provider of digital payment token services. Now, CoinHackle is the fifth digital token services provider to receive the license. And I believe that, you know, there had been now uh, four licenses awarded um, last year uh, recently and hundreds of entities have applied for the license and only five have been granted so very much congratulations. Thank you. So Pessie you know so for our listeners who are not too familiar with CoinHackle could you just give us a brief sort of overview of what you guys do your background and also your role. I believe you started quite recently as well like early this year
1: Yes, that's correct. So um, just to hash what CoinHako does, um, it's basically a digital assets provider. Uh, we provide access to Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, such cryptocurrencies in um, user-friendly way. So um, I think CoinHako is one of the older players in the local market here in Singapore. So it's a homebrew company from Singapore. And the, um, the major payment institution license actually has been in works for many years. So it is really a coveted thing. So thank you for that uh, praise. I think it's a um, big recognition from um, authorities to give that license out. Um, and personally, I feel that it's also a recognition that, that the work that we've done for security and risk management has been paying off. So it's not an easy thing to do.
0: And you are now the CISO with uh, CoinHackle and uh, just very, very quickly, before we go into the details, um, for our listeners, we, we would normally hear about exchanges such as, you know, Bitstamp, Binance, Coinbase, you know. So from a security perspective, how, how would we compare CoinHackle to these crypto exchanges? You mentioned that CoinHackle is really Singapore based, but from a security perspective, what are the sort of really, really high level differences?
1: Well, from a um, security perspective, there's many many different angles or perspectives that you can take into security of uh, crypto exchanges. So if you look at like how crypto exchanges operate in general is um, is an access gateway uh, between different parties where um, transactions are passed from one one way to another and then then again, exchanges may have access to fiat currencies as well for those people who have invested into cryptocurrency so um, to kind of a middle player role in that sense and um, security of crypto exchanges is not a simple matter to assess for an end user Um, if i'm looking at from our listeners view from a user perspective i would probably consider different factors like do they offer support for me? Do they, do, the, do they offer me security instructions, basic features like two-factor authentication? How about different kinds of know-your-customer or anti-money laundering practices? If the operator or the exchange in question has strong practice around these areas, then it's a sign that, okay, this may be a company that you can trust one thing that the exchanges don't openly discuss usually is how how they operate and secure their wallets mainly the hot and cold wallets or somewhere in between um, warm wallets these are wallets that are either online in which case they are hot or they are offline and that means they're cold (laughs) and not accessible online and more secure in general so um some exchanges may tell something about it but many don't so from user perspective, I would look at that user-facing um, practice, how well the exchange tries to secure the investor funds and assets. I think it's a wider question about responsibility and corporate level. Um, we do have a, a responsibility you know, the, to protect the investors and protect whomever tries to use the service.
0: Yes, you point out also... Um, an aspect that the users should be looking out for, which is uh, the governance, the policies and procedures around anti-money laundering. And of course, um, this is also uh, one of a key concern for regulators. And we we hear about ransomware hacks where attackers would launder the ransom in crypto through exchanges or other crypto networks. And um, you talk about consumer protection. At least in Singapore, there have been several high-profile cases of consumers losing money. Through crypto investment scams. So for the benefit of our audience, uh, could you perhaps share um, you know the types of counterparties or exchanges that Coinhackle deal with, you know, the countries that Coinhackle operate in, and the types of coins crypto coins that Coinhackle accepts on the platform. So this is uh, in order to combat money laundering and also to provide a strong uh, protection for consumers.
1: Maybe the first part of the question, which are the countries where we operate, currently it's predominantly Singapore. Now, if you look at how cryptocurrencies are transmitted or moved across different wallets and different countries or jurisdictions, technologically looking at it, um, basically you can send it from anywhere to anywhere. But having said that, the AML and the money laundering, um, requirements are that you shouldn't allow sending or receiving funds from um, blacklisted entities let's say you try to send to a country or a exchange that is on a blacklisted um, list of countries or recipients then the responsibility of these exchanges is to of course prevent that sort of a transaction from going forward and naturally most of the players on the market should be doing this screening of transactions. Then there's the perspective of working with the authorities in case there is risky behavior observed. So um, CoinHack, for example, has received a prize from Singapore police force for prevention of cyber fraud. And um, we've been working with them for years successfully and we're proud about this cooperation. So, um, of course, anything I say over here is not investment advice. I'm not an advisor, so if you are listening to this, don't, don't take it as such. But I'm just saying that um, looking at from Singapore perspective, we have really, really good government cooperation in this sector. And there are countries where such a thing doesn't exist or it's very lax. So uh, the market is, is globally in different phases in different areas and countries. So. Um, looking at those scams over here in Singapore, higher likelihood that scams are prevented, definitely. In other countries, I am I'm hearing cases where people are scammed with old school ways, even phone calls, phishing mm-hmm. emails, malware on workstation, many different ways, and basically simplest way is just to give the person instructions and an address where to send money, and some of them they will fall for it. Simple as that.
0: Yes, yeah. So you talked about old school tactics and um, from uh from a tech and cyber risk perspective, we also see some sort of uh old school tactics, right? Um although we hear about you know some kind of unique type of attacks like that's really specific to blockchain, like 51% attack or double spend, right? Um but the crypto world is more than just blockchain. There are the, as you mentioned, the wallets, the smart contracts, the exchanges. Uh, we hear about the Gox hack of 2014, the Ethereum DAO incident of 2016, and also recently the wormhole. And all these are traditional, sort of old school type of attacks, if you will, like stealing keys, uh, abusing access controls, software bugs exploits. And these all resulted in hundreds of millions of losses. So it's to a large extent from a cyber risk perspective, it is misleading if we think that these risks are unique in the crypto world. And actually they are a lot of it is quite old school.
1: Yes, yes, that's correct. Um, one thing to, to consider is also that crypto risk landscape is developing very fast. So what is true this year might be very different from last year. Um, there are trends that never seem to go away, like that scamming, which is typically it's a risk of end users. So different kinds of old-school scams never go away. Using malware to steal money never goes away. It's a risk that we have to kind of live with. Similar to bank fraud, it's still there. We probably totally never get rid of it, but we can do the continuous work to prevent it. Then again, if you look at that biggest hacks and how things have evolved, during Let's say last year, you can have a look at reports like Chainalysis' uh, cybercrime report from this year. It's actually quite fresh report. And um, I encourage everybody to have a look. Um, it's an interesting read. And uh, one revelation over there is that decentralized finance, DeFi in short, is the new area where people and companies lose the most of the funds. So we read about these big hacks where... Um, DeFi hack has resulted in 600 million or 350 million loss in one incident and just two days ago, 100 million loss again in USD. These DeFi protocols and systems, they hold massive amounts of value, uh, massive amounts of assets. And when the system has a design or implementation flaw, or um, cryptographic keys of that system compromised, that may lead to massive losses. So um, if there's any key takeaways from this is that DeFi is is in its infancy, but the value in those, those systems is massive. So I think a prudent way to approach this is to really assess the security of these systems, the protocols, maturity of them, and then make decisions later. Um, what was considered yesterday secure may not be that way tomorrow. That's the key lesson from security perspective that's proven to be true time and again.
0: <laughs> you, you talk about the, uh, the emergence of DeFi exploits. And could you give a sort of a high-level overview of one example of this uh, recent uh, cyber incident Um, If I understand right, it's sort of exploiting the vulnerabilities in the key management protocols.
1: Well, that's one perspective of looking at it. Actually, I think that the most important aspect of cryptography in general is that encrypting and decrypting and doing stuff with cryptography is quite easy, but key management is hard. It's been that way, I think, for the last 20 plus years, Um, basically, you always nearly always need some sort of a secret or private key to access the digital assets in blockchains. Only the owner of those private or secret keys is able to use the assets, transfer them, and so forth, so on. And then there are situations where we use multiple keys to authorize transactions. And when that multiple or multi-sig principle is used for decentralized systems like DeFi, it may mean that we have nine keys, for example, and five of those nine are needed to authorize something. Now, let's ask if an attacker gets access to five of those keys, what happens? Of course, the attacker may start signing the transactions in the blockchain, which means moving the money wherever they want. Having said that, from user perspective, be really, really skeptical about transferring money in and out of your wallets take extra care to check the sending and receiving addresses use two-factor authentication think about really how you want to secure your wallet is it in the exchange for you or do you have a mobile wallets perhaps less secure or do you maybe take it to a physical wallet device that holds those keys for you so those are the perspectives And if I may, I would like to give another example for a DeFi scenario where everybody tries to figure out what is the price of an asset. So in this case, hackers have been able to exploit something called pricing Oracle attacks. So Oracle is a mechanism in this DeFi system that keeps track of the current price of things. The attacks against the Oracle will cause the Oracle being off sync with other pricing, and that allows arbitrage between differences in the pricing. So here's two different types of scenarios.
0: So for our audience who are not too familiar with DeFi, which stands for Decentralized Finance, could you give a quick overview of what are some of the um, activities that organizations are engaging in using the DeFi networks?
1: DeFi is a very generic term. Perhaps we shouldn't go too deeply into it, but uh, just to give you a couple of ideas, um, there are, for example, payment bridges that allow you to transfer one type of uh, cryptocurrency to another type, allowing that sort of a bridging between those two, just to give you a quick example.
0: So earlier you talked about um, from a user perspective some of the decisions that they need to consider is whether to store uh, their crypto on hot wallets or cold wallets, whether you know they want to uh, do it online or offline. Um, and again, from a user perspective, if I may also bring up an, another example uh, of a cyber incident, but this is in the banking world uh, in Singapore, which is the, of course, the OCBC phishing incident where users were sent phishing links, which harvested the victims' credentials to steal money from their accounts, right? And in the crypto world, of course, uh, phishing uh, would also present a very uh, attractive opportunity as more and more users are entering the crypto market. And uh, so what lessons from that perspective can users um, in the crypto world take from the banking world uh, when it comes to phishing?
1: I'm glad you brought up this example. It's actually very helpful to compare the similarities and differences between the traditional banking world, tax, phishing and crypto. So um, just to rehash what happened in the OCBC example, people got SMSs that seemed to come from their bank. From a mobile phone screen, the user couldn't really tell the difference between a real message and the fake message. That was very difficult because they seemed to come from the right number too. So the attackers were evidently able to fake the sender ID, sender a number. And that made the mobile devices show those messages on the same SMS thread as the real, real ones. And this is really, really a nice technique from the attacker perspective because it seems so authentic. So in crypto world, this wouldn't generally work the same way because I am not aware of many players that allow SMS as an authentication mechanism anymore. It used to be good, let's say, some number of years ago. But today, it seems that the security of that mechanism has eroded to some extent because of the sophistication of the attacks. Crypto world typically faces similar threats. So spear phishing and phishing definitely are the same for banks and crypto world. Uh, the solutions are typically to use multi-factor authentication, 2FA, um, usually using things like Google Authenticator or other Authenticator apps, A time-limited challenge typically lasting for a minute so you provide a six digit pin from the other app to your banking app or your crypto exchange app i think this incident made ocbc implement changes and uh similar cat and mouse game will be expected going forward in the future as well unfortunately the game is not not over yet attackers will try to probably next hit those authenticator apps and then maybe google and other other players will implement countermeasures for that too, but for mm-hmm. now, I think good practice is to use two FA everywhere possible.
0: Right? Yeah. So we, we talked about uh, some of the considerations that users should be aware of, some of the sort of cyber hygiene habits, and that should be cultivated. Uh, there's also. In the crypto world from an organization's perspective, in addition to software bugs, uh, access controls, abuse, there's also, you know, the ransomware supply chain attacks, which I think are also applicable to the crypto world. So I think for the crypto world, the threat universe is quite rather intimidating, I suppose, because you're not just facing the old school threats, but you're also facing you know, the new, the emerging ones that's quite specific to blockchain um, as well. So what can organizations in the crypto world, um, how can they implement um, the cybersecurity framework to combat such a wide universe of threats?
1: Um, personally, this is of course just my opinion. The, the key is the keys. So anybody in this space, a company in crypto world, should consider that the encryption and decryption and signing keys that they used, those are the crown jewels. And working backwards, how to gain access, how the authorized access is done, how unauthorized access would be done as well. The security model should kind of evolve around that idea. Um, the next thing is that, it is evident from attacker's perspective and history that people and endpoints are the number one primary targets. So, building the security model around the idea that endpoints must be protected well, but you must not trust that they will be always protected well. People will, of course, make mistakes, we are just humans, we will click links, at least sometimes somebody in the organization will and the security model shouldn't depend on the idea that the defense always succeeds everywhere so build layers of security around your most important assets so compromise of one or two or ten devices or even the whole universe of the endpoints shouldn't lead into the compromise of the crypto assets i think that's one of the key ideas that players in this market should take away from here
0: So what you're talking about is, um, I guess, the zero trust um, and also defense in debt framework.
1: Zero trust is definitely part of the solution, but only part. I think in general, companies should approach this from risk management perspective, uh, starting from how much money should I um, be willing to lose? What is the size of the, the assets in my digital hot wallets? Um, how do I monitor the volumes and, and authorised transactions flowing in and out in real time? How do I block suspected cases? Um, and then going into this typical IT security kind of world where we have these zero trust controls uh, around these ideas. I think it should be a multidisciplinary approach, not just security from a technical one, one-sided perspective. Mm.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, discussions around, you know, how cyber risk really, at the end of the day, is about all about risk management, and it's yes, not it just, is. as you say, right, not technical, but there's also other aspects such as governance as well to consider. Okay. So to wrap up, I just want to ask one last question. You touched very briefly on the um, the threat landscape, which is. Um, It's evolving very quickly, and the most recent is in the DeFi world. And um, over the last couple of years, the crypto value has been quite um, significant on the upside. But in the recent couple of months, I would say, the value has come down uh, quite a lot, like Bitcoin, for example, as we all know, has uh, sort of uh, come from the highs of more than what... 50, 60 70 thousand to now I think around 20 between 20 to 30 if I'm if I'm right so what what does it mean for the threat landscape are are we going to see threat actors you know as interested in in hacking the crypto world now that the valuation is coming down
1: I think from the threat perspective there will not be a very big change at least for now um, The actors are, of course, always interested in in, um, crypto just because it's so um, easy to move around. It's not just that they want to attack an exchange or uh, steal private investors' funds, but it might be also um, Mm. crypto miners. Um, So crypto miners, for example, they are software that are silently installed into browsers or servers in the network or in the workstation operating system as applications and they silently crunch the numbers as part of a bigger botnet.
0: Oh, that's the, the crypto checking, is it?
1: Yeah, so okay. these um, crypto checking software, they basically just crunch the numbers and make Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies for the botnet runners. Um, just to give you an example that it's still profitable, it's still uh, interesting for them and they will try to run these operations the valuation of a certain coin or the general financial market like stock market isn't really affecting them. Of course there's the question, does the Bitcoin buy as much as it used to? <laughs> I really don't want to comment on that. Right. Um, no. Yeah no the, one can the, predict. The market's been, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't have a You You don't
0: have a crystal ball. I think if we all do, we will not be sitting here.
1: (laughs) That's right. If I knew what's going to happen in one week, I wouldn't be here. You probably would not want to share
0: either, right?
1: (laughs) Correct. I wouldn't share. So um, no predictions.
0: Mm, Right. So, yes, yeah, so Pepsi, thank you so much for your time today. Um, thank you for your insights and sharing, you know, some of the similarities uh, from a threat perspective uh, between the traditional and the crypto world and how from a cyber risk uh, mitigation perspective, how we as cyber defenders approach it from a risk management perspective, prioritizing the assets that are more uh, valuable to us. So again, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thanks Jane, it's been my privilege and um, hope to to have you soon again.